Good morning, listeners, and welcome to Mercury, a broadcast of hope. I'm Dr. Rosalind Clark, and today is day 281 since we came back on the air. Last week, it occurred to us that there is a fully equipped dive locker right here on campus. Being the resident marine biologist and diver of the group, I'm still baffled that I hadn't thought of it sooner. It's called a dive locker, but it's more of a large shed or small building that houses all of the dive gear, air compressor, and workspace for maintaining the gear. We found a small electric Ingersoll Rand pump that we hooked up to the generator and filled a couple of tanks. It uses up way too much gas for us to do it regularly, but it allowed me to go for one dive last week, and it was glorious. I've been thinking about it ever since. Just the feel of being submerged in the water is so liberating. Since the water here is cold, diving requires a 7 mil wetsuit, if not a dry suit. Getting into that suit and then strapping on all the gear, I feel so confined and weighted down by the time I get in the water. Once I'm down there, though, it's totally different. The neoprene of the wetsuit softens and compresses, immediately getting more comfortable. The weight of the gear is instantly relieved by the support of the water. There's an uplifting weightlessness of being submerged in the sea. Instead of the constants of the gravitational pull of land, there is the freedom of adjustable buoyancy. I can raise or lower myself in the water column at will, like flying. It's the most freeing feeling in the world. It's a different world. Here in the Sound, people don't often go pleasure diving. For reasons besides just the cold, there isn't much of a tourist industry here concerning underwater recreation. The temperate climate we're in doesn't provide the conditions necessary for the beauty of the underwater world in tropical areas, where there are coral reefs. We don't have the intricate anemones and corals growing like forests, providing habitat for vibrant fish. We don't have majestic manta rays, thrilling reef sharks, or colorful resident invertebrates. But what we have here has its own beauty. There are undulating seagrass beds, rocks and pilings so covered with thriving fallon community. There are sandy expanses where the sunlight filters through the water and plays across the substrate in dappled patterns. There are lobsters big enough to eat and tiny hermit crabs and periwinkle shells. But now there are zombies. And that's what I've been thinking a lot about in the last few days. When I went down there, I didn't encounter any. I'm glad I didn't because I wasn't prepared for it. I was so concerned with the logistics and safety of the dive that I hadn't put much thought into what I would have done if I had encountered a zombie down there. While the zombies actively avoid water, it's not inconceivable that one would find itself submerged. What if one got on a boat and was pushed off? What if one were swept out to sea during a storm, fell off of a cliff into the water? There are any number of ways that a zombie could end up down there. We know they do avoid water, but we also know they go into a sort of stupor when fully submerged. We've seen it a couple of times. There was one at the bottom of a well. We saw one floating in a river. Sometimes when the rain gets hard enough, they just stop in their tracks, almost like in a trance. When the rain stops, they become reanimated. If I encounter a submerged zombie... I suspect it would be immobile. I don't anticipate having to fight off any underwater, but I honestly really don't know what else to expect. Neither of the submerged zombies we've encountered seem to have been there for very long. 
I'm curious about the physical state that the body of the zombie is going to be in. Like most people, I don't have any experience with corpses outside of crime shows on TV. I wonder if the body starts decomposing, like any other corpse in the water. I wonder if scavengers start picking at it. Will the zombie's toes have been eaten off by crabs? I wonder if barnacles, ascidians, and bryozoans will start growing on its skin like they do on the seagrass. In crime shows, bodies get bloated in water. Is that going to happen? How long can a zombie be inert in the water and still be capable of reanimation? Another question I have is concerning the fact that we assign emotions to the zombies. We keep talking about zombies being angry in the rain. That's a human emotion that we so easily assign to these walking corpses that, for all practical purposes, we consider to be dead. How then can we be assigning emotions to them? We say that they don't like the water, further anthropomorphizing them. This is leading me to worry what it's like for the zombies to be submerged. If I encounter one, should I, well, put it out of its misery? What sort of moral obligation do I have towards a zombie in the ocean? Is there a risk in simply swimming away, leaving them where they are? I don't often talk about my own emotions here on the broadcast, but what if I run into someone I know? What if I encounter a student of mine or a colleague? Somehow encountering them as an immobilized, reanimated corpse immersed in water seems worse than seeing one as an ambling zombie on land. I really don't know how I should feel about it. And again, should I stab them in the head with my dive knife? These are things I've been contemplating lately. I don't have the answers, but I'm willing to find out. I'm so anxious to dive again after dipping my toes into this, so to speak. I just can't wait to literally jump back in. I have so many plans, but I will have to go into those another day. Until tomorrow, take care of each other.